One of the things that uh, we do, um, that we often teach uh, in the United Methodist Church is confirmation. Somewhere in your early, uh, in your tween years, in most places, uh, when I was growing up at 12 years old, you were at the age of decision. And at the age of decision, you were old enough to decide whether or not you believed. So you went to a class, and when I was taking the class, it was somewhere in the neighborhood, I don't know, it seemed like six months to me, it could have been three weeks, it just seemed like it went on for a long time, what we believe. Uh, and it's very important that I mention to you before I tell you about that, that I'm James Henry, the pastor of St. James. Just in case you're just watching the sermon, that's the only thing you're watching. All right, now I've completely lost track of the story, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, as a 12-year-old, I went to confirmation. Uh, confirmation, that training to teach me what we believe. And by we, that meant the inside group of United Methodists. Uh, people who were United Methodists, if you're United Methodists, this is what we believe. Now, if you're a Baptist, you might have had some other kind of, you know, whatever kind of class you had to teach you what Baptists believe, what Presbyterians believe, what Roman Catholics believe, what Orthodox believe. There are all sorts of ways of being confirmed and deciding for yourself about what we believe. And it was handed to me, I still remember the purple book that was my confirmation materials, and they handed me the purple book as if you could contain what believing is in a book, that there was a container I could hand to you, like if I could turn around here, walk over to this table, and let's just say this rock on the table is the container that contains what faith is and that I could just hand you a container, and if you held the container, you had faith. You had belief, you had what it took. What we believe has become a list. Uh, if you go to a lot of churches, they use a creed uh, as a part of worship every Sunday, uh, or many Sundays, uh, that describes what we believe. You know, uh, and we believe, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. You know, and we race through it as fast as we possibly can, that list of things, and we think that the list is actually believing. I'm here to tell you that maybe, maybe we're not paying enough attention to what actually the biblical message is. Here, as we're getting close to the end of the Gospel of John, and we've been spending time with John all through Lent uh, in the first letter of John, and now we've been looking at the Gospel of John in this season of Easter, I I've chosen to... Uh, these are verses that I have never preached a whole sermon on before. Two verses. Two verses. So you are, you're on the ground floor for uh, a James Henry sermon, just so you know. You've never heard me preach this sermon before, probably. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And they seem like throw-off verses, so I want you to listen closely to what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. One more time. I'm going to read it to you again because it's just two verses. You can hear it again one more time. Listen carefully. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is our gospel for this morning. Thanks be to God. The first thing that struck me about this is apparently there's more to say, but they chose not to say it. The writer of this text says to you, there's a lot more I could say. In fact, you know, the imp impression I got was it could fill books and books and books. And if you really think about it, and think about it with me for just a moment, if God is indeed infinite in the way God reveals the eternal divine self to us, there has got to be more than just three ways of revealing that to us. In the Gospel of John, we have an appearance, a resurrection appearance to Mary. She's by herself. She's in a garden. Maybe there are some clues there. But we're not going back to that sermon again to figure it out. The second time appears to all the disciples who are hiding because they're afraid, locked behind closed doors. You probably feel most like that group. And then a week later, maybe you feel more like this one, Thomas who said, I wasn't there, I didn't see it, I don't believe it. Unless I see the wounds of the resurrected one, I'm not believing it. And Jesus shows up one more time, a third time. And when he shows up, shows the wounds, and the wound, you can be wounded and resurrected at the same time. That's what we talked about last week. Apparently, that's enough. Apparently, that's all you need, that and the first 19 chapters of the Gospel of John. Uh, because if you think about it, the writer of the Gospel of John is, is pro that's probably the only gospel that the community in the first century got. And the Gospel writer of the Gospel of John said, this is all you need to know. This book, I mean, we've got 66 books Add some more if you use the Apocrypha. But there are 66 books in there that we tend to use. But for the, you know, the community of John, this is the book. This is enough. This is enough for you to believe. Because it would be exhaustive for me to put down every possible way that Jesus could appear to you in your life. That the eternal Christ shows up. These are three ways. But don't measure your three ways by those three ways. If you're not walking in a graveyard garden and encounter someone you think is the gardener who turns out to be Jesus, that doesn't mean you can't experience the risen Christ. And if you're locked in a room, hidden by yourself with a group of other disciples, uh, random though they may be, if you're not there, that doesn't mean you've missed out on the revelation of Christ. And by the way, you don't even have to be the doubting one. And we discovered last week, that's really a misnomer to call him doubting because it never even says doubting in there. It just says, one who believes versus one who don't be unbelieving. That's what it says. But those are just three of the ways 
There are many more ways, but this is apparently enough. So, based on this enough, then we have to ask the question, what, for what, if this is enough, what is it enough for? It's enough so that you can believe. It's enough so that you can believe. You don't need a lot more. You know, if you're not going to believe with the three stories, you're not going to believe with a thousand stories. If you're not going to be drawn into the story in such a way that you live love in your everyday lives, then you're not going to be drawn in. You're simply not going to be, you're not ready yet. And that's, that happens to all of us. There are moments when all of us aren't yet ready to be drawn into the story. Heck, there are moments when you've been drawn into the story and you think, but all of this bad stuff is going on right now. I can't get back into this story. Maybe I misunderstood the story. Maybe I have to rethink the story. What is believing? If it's not that book they handed me that was purple when I was 12 years old and apparently contained everything I needed to know for the rest of my life, if it's not that, what is believing? What's interesting about the Gospel of John, I don't do a lot of those wordy kinds of things. What's interesting about the Gospel of John is John never uses belief as a noun. Never once. Believing is... Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a noun, mostly. In John, it is always a verb. It is an action. It is a way of living. It's a way of engaging. It's a way of participating in the larger story, the one that's larger than yours. Now, let me frame believing from this perspective. I want to say I had an epiphany this week, but you know, you just don't know if it's really an epiphany or if one day you drank too much coffee in the morning and your brain just went off on a trip. So, ride with me on this one. I would like to believe it's an epiphany. From the very beginning of everything, and the Gospel of John actually begins in the beginning of everything, actually before the beginning of everything. If you begin in the very beginning of everything, before everything began, before there was time, there was just love. The eternal love that we know now as a Trinitarian dance between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's all that existed. And then, boom! Now, if you believe the boom happened 5,000 years ago, good for you. And if you believe it happened 14.6 billion years ago, perfectly fine, because God can work in any amount of time that God wants to work in. And that's how God works. So, love began to pour out into the universe. And for the most part, the universe was kind of cooperative about the whole thing. You know, a few stars appeared here, some stardust, a few planets, everything began to get... And then suddenly we get this one little planet in the middle of nowhere universe on the edge of a tiny galaxy, the Milky Way, floating around this not even all that exciting, you know, star, the sun, what we call the sun, uh, there emerges this kind of group of people. People. And for the first time, instead of cooperating with the creative power of love everywhere, this group decided they were going to do it their own way. You can go your own way. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. But we decided we were. We wanted to be in control. We wanted to set the parameters. We wanted to decide who God was, and by the way, we did. Who's in, who's out, we wanted to be in control. 
I want to decide. You know, and by the way, a lot of people who we've let in, I wouldn't let in. <laughs> and some of the people we haven't let in, we should let those in. I want to make those decisions. I want to be in control. I want to not cooperate with eternal love. Instead, I want to set my own parameters. And that requires me to swim against the stream, against the very flow of love, because I need to be in charge. I need to be in charge of me. I'm the boss of me. And if I'm not the boss of me, then my community is the boss of me, if I understand myself as part of a larger community. But in the end, I don't, I'm not interested in going along with this eternal flow of love. And then suddenly I find out there is an eternal flow of love. So initially when I discover there's an eternal flow of love that's been constantly flowing for the last 5 to 14 billion years, 5,000 to 14 billion years, that love has been flowing out, I get to make a choice. Once I discover that love is constantly flowing, I get to make a choice. I can keep swimming against the stream, or I can consent to be part of the stream itself. I can be part of God's flowing love in this universe, because God created me and you to, in some way, uniquely reflect God's goodness in the universe. And I can cooperate with that, or I cannot cooperate with that. And that, in a way, is what believing is. For me, that's what I began to see believing is. I spent most of my life deci deciding for myself what's the right way to go. And then I finally listened to the voice of love that said, we're going to go this way. James, just cooperate with me. I made you. I made you to sing this one note in the song. I know you think you're a generalist and can sing every note, everybody's note for everybody, and you want to go out and try to do it, and there are lots of overfunctioners in the world who think they can sing everybody's note. I'm one of them sometimes. But the truth is, I just gave you one note, James. You know, towards the end of one of my favorite plays of all time, Camelot. Uh, you know, King Arthur's on the eve of, it's on the eve of battle. It's about to go in and fight his, his favorite knight, uh, his best friend, because of, you know, because we're humans and that's the way it is. And uh, he sends a messenger from the battlefield, a young squire who will probably, would have died in the battle. He sends them off. And he says, remember all the stories of Camelot. And so then his chief advisor comes to him and says, who was that and where, what is he running away for? <laughs> and he said, you know, he's one of what we all are, drops in an ocean, but some drops sparkle. Some drops sparkle. I'm here to tell you that in the gospel, every drop can sparkle. Every one of you drops can sparkle. This drop can sparkle. But I sparkle brightest and best when I cooperate with the love that is ever flowing from God. It's not limited. God's love is not finite. It's infinite. It's just constantly being poured out. And if I'm willing to cooperate with it, to engage it, and to flow with the stream, 
on the edge of this future God is giving us, I can make a difference. I can be God's hands and feet. I can be the one who works on behalf of the Holy Spirit in this world. That's what believing is. It's stopping going your own way because you can't go your own way despite what the song said. And it's going the way God has always meant for you to go. The story of the garden is that story. Not Mary in the garden, but the original garden story is a story of God says, you can have it all. Just, just cooperate with my love. Name the animals. Grow some trees. Plant some grass. Eat, some, eat, eat whatever you want. Just not that. So what's the one thing we wanted to do? The just not that. We wanted to define our own way of being who we are. And in the end, it's about saying yes to God and living the love of God. Because when we do, that's the life God intended for us. So by believing, by saying yes to this eternal love that's flowing in the person of Christ, into each one of us, and not just into us, but through us, because sometimes we stop it up. Oh, great, God is loving me, just not you. <laughs> That's not the message. <laughs> the message is it's flowing into me and through me. That the only time it's really love, if I believe Michael W. Smith's song from before James and Megan were born, you know, uh, love isn't love until you give it away. Love isn't love until you give it away. If it stops with you, it's not really love. It's got to flow through you, through your hands and your eyes and your words and your feet. So what are you going to do with this time now that we're living in a pandemic? Are you going to look for ways to say yes to love and let it flow through you? Because that's what believing really is. It's not handing somebody a book and saying, do this. I want you to ask yourself this question this week, and maybe for the rest of your life. What is my purpose in life? And you can sum it up in one little short phrase, to love. Now, it might look unique to you, the way you love, but remember, when you get up every morning and look in the mirror, to say to yourself, my sole purpose today, against which I can measure everything, is to love. Did I fix breakfast lovingly? Did I shower this morning lovingly? You may think, oh, he's just being funny. I'm not being funny at all. Did I treat the significant people in my life lovingly? Did I treat the insignificant people in my life? And let me just give you a heads up, there aren't any. <laughs> but did I treat the people I don't know as well as the people I do? Did I treat the people I do know as well as I treated the ones I don't? Because sometimes it's that reverse. We feel like we can take out all our stuff on the people we love. How are you doing with your eternal purpose? Because if you're listening to me, that's your purpose. And even if you're not, that's your purpose, to love. And you do it by saying yes to the flow. To believing 
living the love of God. If I ask you what your purpose is, I'm going to expect the answer, to love. <laughs> to love. Listening to what James had to say reminded me of um, when I started seminary. Uh, you know, when you think that you're, you know, you're going to seminary and you're going to be around all these great churchy people and you get there and you realize many folks are really angry. They're angry as they talk about um, God and what they believe and they become hostile if you don't believe the same thing that they do. And I was, the first couple of times I experienced this, I was, had that like frying pan look like someone had hit me in the face. I was like, what is going on here? And I realized in that time in seminary that so many of us can get caught up with this, with our brain, with what we believe up here, but we can't really figure out how to take all that and disseminate it in through our heart and out into the world in a fashion that um, is really what I think Jesus was trying to help the disciples and his followers do in that time in his ministry, was to move from the rules and everything else and instead find ways to love directly in the world. And that is a hard process. And I think it's hard because we want to live in our brain. We want to live in these ways that make sense. But the truth is, is for any of us who have ever been in love, it makes absolutely no sense. Am I right? Yet, you know, we're, we're in this room, six of us, and it's three married couples. So any one of us should be able to say, absolutely not. Love makes no sense. It makes no sense. And... Yet that is what God has first done for us. And so the question is, is can we take this feeling, this wonder, this amazing thing that God has placed in each of us as humans and find some way to let that be the guiding force in all of our words and actions? And in the midst of this time right now, with all of the stressors that we're all feeling, it is hard. But my hope is, is we won't give up. And sometimes we're going to fall down more times than we're going to stand up through this. So love fiercely, my friends, and go in the knowledge that God first loved us. <laughs>